Welcome back to Brain Body Movement, the podcast for those interested in everything nutrition, training, and mindset. I'm one of your hosts, Brad, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Brock. Today's episode was another Q&A where we answered four questions that got sent to us through social media. Question number one, if you have a rough night sleeping, is it better to sleep in or wake up at the same time to keep your sleep schedule consistent? Question number two, is it possible to do too many steps? For example, I've had the goal of 20,000 a day. Question number three, I tried everything to grow my biceps, but they won't grow even though everything else is growing. How do I fix that? And question number four, is there a good and effective way to cut while not obsessively tracking over calories and macros? That was in the back half of the show. And in the front half, we spoke about generosity, my shred to 10, negative effects of alcohol, some Easter chat, the banning of rap music at Easter show, and gave you a few random facts. All right, enjoy the show. Optimize your generosity. No one on their deathbed has ever regretted giving too much away. Yeah, agreed. I've never, yeah. never, never regretted giving away uh, too much money. I think we've discussed this before, and maybe time. I've been like, mm-hmm. hmm, I probably gave that person too much time. But then when you hit back with me about, uh, did you really give them too much time, or did it take that much time for you to learn the lesson of not to be mm-hmm. giving so much time to them? And I was like, hmm, maybe I didn't didn't regret giving away that time because I had to learn the lesson. Like the lesson was you there did. to be learnt. So yeah, you can never give away too much of your your time and money. No, and like giving away stuff makes you feel good. So in a sense, it is like slightly, um, what's the word? Selfish in a way, isn't yep. it? Like you're giving away, you're like, but I think giving so then and not expecting is like the ultimate because if you're just giving away just because and and then not expecting anything from anyone else, then it's all good. Like that, that's done. Whereas if you're like, okay, I'll do this for this person. That means I've like bagged up goodwill with them. So then I can hit them back and ask them for something. And they'll be like, that was ages ago. Like I thought you were just doing that because you cared. Obviously not. So that's like, I guess people do that deliberately to manipulate people. Uh- I was gonna say a manipulative strategy. Yeah, and coerce and stuff. Yeah, whereas you wanna you wanna just give for the sake of giving, really. Yeah, and, and that's the difference between I feel a successful trainer or coach and a trainer or coach that's in it for let's say money. So successful trainer and coach is often just about getting results for people and they're like, Oh, I just really want to help this person. And it comes from like a, a giving nature. I wanna I've I've got knowledge and I wanna be able to help them make a change in their life for the better, however it may be. Whereas a trainer that's in it for money is just cookie cutter programs, meal plans, trying to pump through as many people as possible. Yeah, that's that separates mm. that that good trainer and, and and bad trainer, bad coach. Yeah, and go and going for goals that they want, not for what you want. Of like, oh, you know, everyone wants to lose weight. So how much weight do you want to lose? Like, no, I don't want to even lose weight. I, you know, want to work on this or want to work on that one. Want to go for a run? It's like, oh, geez, all right, let's <laughs> let's, let's pump the brakes a bit. And then work with the work with the client, and I get there are certain things that clients say that they probably mean a different thing, but you kind of got to meet them where they're at, don't you? You're just Absolutely. like, okay, I know you want to do this, but I know you really want this. So, yeah, it's a good balancing act when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, look, I know I uh, I bring him up a lot, but this is relevant to what we're talking about, and it's my boy Neddy Brockman. <laughs> 
literally two hours ago. So as the time of listening to this, it'll be a week ago. He uh, he posted, he's over there with Israel Adesanya for UFC. And he just did a post about how amazing the whole experience was. And then just below it, he, he's written this, and this is the caption. Bought six people on the street lunch today. Gonna send me broke, but it's goddamn worth it. You can never overgive. Nice to be able to put a smile on someone's face. Usually I leave with one too. If ever you're feeling down and shitty about how bad you've got it, there's always someone else worse off. As I said in my story today, homelessness in America is off the charts and it's been incredibly confronting for me. Perspective is a beautiful thing. Well said. Yeah. Old Nettie Brockman. What a, what a man. You're obviously following him a lot, aren't you? What a, what a man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I, I love that. So as he said in there, like it, it put a smile on their face, but it also put a smile on his face too. So mm. yeah. It's it's contagious really as well. Like even I'm pretty sure they've done studies on it of just seeing people say someone would just give a random person like money or food or, or whatever or do a, a nice act to someone. And even just people across the street looking at that generosity makes them smile as well. Mm. So it's like ever it's like a circle of like generosity just breeds generosity and and I know that if something nice to you happens throughout the day, you're more likely to do something better for someone throughout the rest of the day. And it's like compounding effect. So I think just, yeah, like we've spoke before, just even like smiling as as you walk past someone. Yeah. It's just something so small. And even if they don't do it, that's all right. That's on them. It's got nothing to do with you. So we've, we've spoken about the hit rate before with smiling and saying <laughs> hello to people of a morning. And I have really upped my game here and it's pretty much every mm. person I walk past now, unless I'm with someone and I'm like walking with someone and talking with them, I'll make an effort of smiling and then saying like a, Hey, or a g'day, how are you? Or What I've noticed is school holidays at the moment, right? And there's lots of people mm. up here, Noosa's a holiday destination. There's lots of people up here from Melbourne and Sydney. My hit rate is a lot lower currently from those people than from the locals. The locals are, are much more willing and happy to say g'day, good morning. Mm. I don't know if it is just locals and, and tourists and people traveling, but there's a strong correlation between my hit rate of like, we were saying like 80, 90% usually will re- reply back or smile back. Mm. At the moment, I'd say it's 50-50, which is a pretty yeah. pretty big decrease. But yeah, I found that interesting. You just mentioned that then and I was like, oh. Yeah, no, I think that it could be Melbourne City or it could just be like country versus city too as well like people in new york they're not always going to smile like yeah are they well i mean we experienced that in london didn't we yeah london as well not too many people out of there busy yeah yeah you you on the tube (laughs) (laughs) just trying to start a conversation with everyone looking at you like you got two heads (laughs) yeah it's just like man i just want to say good day to you like come on (laughs) Uh, yeah it's 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 funny eh? yeah it's like how many people that I guess if you're like if you're in a rush as well, like you're just in one like plane of motion just going forward. Tunnel where vision. it's like yeah, if you're just relaxing and chilling, looking around, doing your thing, you you'll be happy to say hi to everyone. But like if you're running and got to catch a train or, or something, you're just like, get out of my way. <laughs> anyway, speaking of school holidays, we are at the, the Easter school holidays. Before we chat about Easter. You had your shred to 10 and it finished up just before the holidays, right? Give, me some, give me some info. How'd that go down? It did. Yeah, it went really well, man. I um hit my goal, which was six kilos overall. So starting weight was 97, got down to 90.6, 
was at my lowest. So that's yeah, six four six point four kilos total lost. Um, and then my average weight, so my average week one was ninety four six seven, and my average to the end of the week six was ninety one two four. So the total average weight loss was three point four three kilos, which was pretty good for um, six weeks and went quite low at the start and then increased my calories throughout. Um, if you followed along, you would see like week one and two really low, week three and four up slightly, week five was high-ish and then week six was like back to low as well. And that just depend on what I did throughout throughout the week. Sometimes I would, you know, it was fringe on. So there was a few drinks here and there as well that played played a lot which uh going into you know more shredding now today the alcohol just has to take a back seat because it'll throw me for like two to three days sometimes even four depending it's not just like the sleep it's the sleep as well but it's also like you want to crave food as well and then you're like why the fuck am i doing this and then you just got to remind yourself of why you are doing this um definitely vanity metrics and stuff but it's also to push my my mindset as well to get down to those lower levels because I do find myself talking like, oh, you're hungry. You might as well just go get something to eat. It's like, nah, it's not time yet. Like it plays with your head a lot. Like over the years, you, you, you it's like a muscle. Like you strengthen it over the times. So the more times you diet, if you're doing it the right way, the stronger and stronger that goes of like, nah, it's all good. And that's when you have those strategies in place. So I'm glad I had all the strategies in place because it definitely was a lot easier than done before of getting down that low um and yeah so i had the week off in three easter because i planned that well and now today's back on the on the shred train really for probably another five weeks um and then i'll go into another week of roughly around maintenance and then shred again to to europe yeah nice so a few things i want to touch upon there the first one is uh you can correct me if my numbers are wrong here 3.4 kilograms lost on average over six weeks. Yeah, 3.43, yep. Yeah, you said that's pretty good, mate. That's just about perfect for a rate of weight loss on average each week. <laughs> that's like half a kilo on average body weight per week is pretty much bang on. That's a that's a really sweet spot to be. Probably losing majority body fat there, next to no muscle wastage. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a sweet spot. You should uh, give yourself a little bit more credit there. It's not just pretty good. It's It's pretty much bang on perfect. The second thing is alcohol. The, the alcohol isolated itself, the calories um, and metabolism and what it does to your metabolism isn't that bad as a whole. It's the behaviors around it. It's you potentially being lethargic the next day, what it potentially does to your mindset, the lowering of your inhibitions whilst you are drunk and potentially overeating food. It's everything else surrounding alcohol that is more the problem, not just the alcohol in isolation. And I wish more people understood that side of things of what drinking does to their habits and behaviors in their life. A common one I hear is, oh, I just have a glass of wine to help me go to sleep at night. Well, why are you sedating yourself to go to sleep when alcohol is known to impact your sleep? Are you potentially having too much caffeine early in the day? Are you on a are you on a stimulant and then sedate cycle where you just where you wake up feeling groggy because you didn't get a good night's sleep because you sedated yourself the night before with alcohol. So then you're like, okay, I'm going to have caffeine to pit myself up. Then you use the caffeine to get yourself through the day. And then because you've had so much caffeine, you've got to sedate yourself again. It's a vicious mm -hmm. cycle. So that's a common one I see. But yeah, alcohol is a, is, a, is a major, major for wanting to 
not just lose weight, but improve your overall health. And it's, like I said, it's not just the alcohol in isolation. It's the habits and behaviors and lifestyle and mindset and everything else that comes along with it. So oh, yeah. I think that'll help you yeah. drastically these next five weeks if, oh, you, do, if yeah. you do genuinely cut that out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say never because I don't like putting parameters around mm. it and stuff. But yeah, it's something that I know it's like, it just makes us so much harder. And I think if in the six weeks that if I didn't have all the strategies that I've done it before and know how to do it, it would be really hard. Whereas like if I told a client, maybe this six weeks, just don't drink it. It's just easier saying that to them that then they don't even have to think about it because then it can last more than like two or three days. It can last a whole week because it goes into that fuck it mentality of, oh, I've stuffed up now. I might as well just like start again on Monday kind of thing. And then you lose all your progress that you've had. So it is a big one. Um, so yeah, I'm going to attempt to, you know, not have it as pretty well for the next four or five weeks. I'll see how it go. I'm not you know, promising anything, but it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't need it really, to be honest. And like training four times a week, getting over 13,000 steps on average for the week as well. That's big. So they're pretty up there. Yeah. Pretty up there as well. Uh, sleep was like, yeah, on average eight hours in bed. And then the cardio, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> fuck cardio, honestly. <laughs> the, the, the last two weeks, I'm like, all right, I'm going to up my cardio and then, to see if I can get a bit more quicker fat loss than that. I swear it didn't didn't really do much because I'm doing so many steps as well. I honestly it's like it's like water in the garden when it's raining. That's what it felt like to me. So it could have been my mindset going in, but it, it made me a lot more tired throughout the day when I did it. And then it made me more hungry as well, which are two things that I do not want. So <laughs> So, and these, and I, I did them on separate days as well. And then sometimes afterwards, I try to like figure out what was the best one for me. I'm going to just do it once a week moving forward, more for like my health and increase my work capacity for working out. But it's going to be on a totally separate day with a sauna on an easy day that I'm not doing too much shit, <laughs> you know, because yeah, I can see it going downhill if I add too much cardio in. But my calories are up. I'm roughly around. I'm going to go 2,600 this week. See how I go on average, um, and then report back next week to see what I am. Because I don't know what my maintenance was. I didn't track. I didn't track anything. Like I didn't track my sleep. I didn't track my. Because I, I was like, no, I'm going away for Easter. I'm just going to eat intuitively. And I woke up this morning. It was like 91.9. So. My average for week six was 91.24. So it was up 700 grams. So, and that's nothing. That's after the weekend. Yeah. So tomorrow it's going to be down like a lot. So, well, not a lot, but it's going to be down from that. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm glad you mentioned at the end that I'm just going to do one cardio session a week for health. Because when you were saying I did two cardio sessions and it, I felt like it did nothing, how many times have we said on this podcast? Don't do cardio to burn calories. Do it, do yeah. it for health. A classic case of coaching other people better than you coach yourself. So oh, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you said that at the end because if not, I was going to be like Mr. Dapper. You should be doing yeah. cardio for health, not to try and burn <laughs> calories and lose fat. So yeah, no, the bit- extra added one was for the for the shred. Yeah, but yeah, it's fucking it's it's a losing formula that cardio, isn't it? <laughs> 
See, I'm a, I actually went for a run again on the weekend. I haven't run in a while because of my right knee. And I figured out what it was. I am just very lazy when it comes to uh, releasing my ITB. And when I run a lot, my hip flexors get quite tight. My calves get quite tight. And my ITB gets really, really tight. So I spent a week of like promising to myself foam roll every night just for five minutes, both ITBs, the knee pain completely went away. Funny that. And so, so I went for a run on the weekend, no, no knee pain. So I'm going to, I'm going to start that weekend run routine again. And I'm, I've pretty religious with doing one hit session during the week after legs and then a stair master session somewhere. So, but again, I'm not doing that to, to burn calories. I'm doing that to, uh, for look for good heart. on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. And uh nah, for heart for heart health is is the is the main one. Yeah. I also oh, we'll have to double check this, honestly, because I heard it once and then like I was like, Oh yeah, that sounds good. So I'm just gonna bring it up anyway, but I'll cut it out if uh, if I if it's wrong. But doing cardio actually can burn the visceral fat, whereas being in a calorie deficit doesn't actually be, like tap into those um visceral fat stores. So I I found that quite interesting. Have you heard of that before? No, but I'm googling it right now. Okay, Google it and then I have to check after. So in regular aerobic exercise is a great way to shred visceral fat. Many studies have shown that aerobic exercise can help you lose visceral fat, even potentially without dieting. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So the 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 five keys to reducing visceral fat: exercising, and they say brisk walking, cycling, aerobic exercise. And number two, eating a healthy diet, um, not smoking, and getting enough sleep. Mm. Nowhere in there was a calorie deficit. Well, I'm assuming eat a healthy eating diet. healthy. I'm assuming that's they're correlating. Mm. But yeah, calorie deficit. I found that quite is, interesting. Is obviously number one. Yeah, and then there's a there's a PubMed study here. A dose response relation between aerobic exercise and visceral fat reduction. Systematic review of clinical trials. Yeah. Uh, it's been suggested that exercise has a preferential effect on visceral fat reduction. However, it needs to be in conjunction with a calorie deficit. I do. I do. But yeah, they're saying calorie deficit alone doesn't do it. Yeah. So you do need a little bit of a cardio. For yeah. So I'm like, oh, yep. Better, better do the old cardio then. <laughs> <laughs> um, now that you're um, back on the dieting train and we've been through Easter, how was your Easter, man? Yeah, it was really good, man. Went up uh, up the river with the fam, the missus, and friend and that, my brother and that. It was great. It, we um we head up Wakery, which is on the Murray River. And if you live in Australia, around these parts, you would know the Murray River was flooded, like to the brim of like so much that they had to, around the caravan park and the footy oval, they had to do these like, oh, it was probably like three meter high, um, I guess it was just piles of dirt just barricading the water from coming up over and destroying everything because it would have it cost them like five hundred thousand dollars to do this like I guess what would you call it just like a water fucking barricade or yeah, some shit a, a, a barricade yeah yeah something like that yeah um instead of moving all the cabins and shit off of the off of the site. So it's still there because they think it might happen again in another couple couple years. So no Barbies on the on the um gazebos where there is and stuff. So it was a little bit like 
average looking because it's like all swept away. There's like hardly any grass and that, but great time. Little cold, but mate, just bruises everywhere from water sports and stuff like kneeboarding. Showed my um, Mrs. friend how to kneeboard and her partner too. Got them out behind the boat. So they love that. And just like camping. So it was like chilled as, man. Like just chilling away and just yeah, talking nice. and all the camping vibes. So it was pretty chilled. Like didn't eat too much chocolate, a few hot cross buns here and there. Like I said, didn't worry too much about that diet. It was more like enjoying family and good times, really. So Yeah, cool. Nice. What about you, bro? Sounds like I had a good time. Uh, I just yeah, went out to amazing. I just went out to mum's in the morning. Um, a few hot cross buns, a little bit of chalky in the afternoon. But I do want to touch on um people that say food is fuel. That is a crock of shit. Food is so much more than just fuel. Like we literally have food designed for special events, sharing with family, friends, creating memories. For example, hot cross buns. They're only around Easter time. Uh, on your birthday, what do you get? A birthday cake. Like these, this food is like sharing experiences with family, mm. friends, close love, loved ones. So food is, food is so much more than just fuel. And uh, yeah, I, I was thinking of that as I was cutting into my hot cross bun Sunday morning going, ah, oh, this is something I only really do on Easter Sunday. So yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd bring that up as like a little takeaway from my, my thought of eating across hot cross bun over the weekend. Yeah, man, dude, it's, they taste so good as well with melted butter and stuff. Yeah. But I, I, I love it as well, man. Like Easter as well. Um, my Mrs. Branch, she brought her kids up as well. And they're like six and eight. So Sunday morning, we like, oh, <laughs> do your brothers believe No, no, it's all good. Okay. Talking, talking. So-, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we hid the Easter eggs around and did an Easter egg hunt in the morning and stuff. And oh, I was so cute just watching them like running around and then they'd like see an egg that was like, oh, eggs like this. It was like, it just brings the joy of like, okay, this is what Easter is about as well. Just the young ones too, of like just being so expressive over seeing like an egg in a, in a random place that they hadn't seen before. And it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a good time. I remember like as a kid doing it too. Of just like, oh my gosh, and there's like eggs in your tent. You're like, oh my god, they've come and laid eggs and stuff. <laughs> and you don't even think twice about it, really, do you? Yeah. You're just like, oh wow, yeah. And then the fun gets taken away for a few years until you know someone else that has has kids, and then you can experience it all again. And it just reminds you of back in the day when you used to go for Easter egg hunts and stuff. Yeah. Great times. <laughs> Great times. If we can go back to being uh, children for Easter and Christmas, that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like deja vu or not deja vu, like just sedatus or something. Or yeah. Something. So shout, out, shout out to my mum. So <clears throat> what she actually does or did, sorry, is she created like this little like a uh, piece of paper or a bit of cardboard and she cut out like a paw print on it. And then what she would do is she'd put it on the floor and she'd put flour over it and she'd make it look like it was bunny paw prints coming into like an oh. Easter basket or something. Genius. So good. That is genius. Yeah. That's eat half so a carrot. Good. So any parents listening, uh, feel free to hit up my mother and she makes this little card. She'll send you a photo. It's a little card and there's a little paw print and yeah, puts it on the floor, a little bit of flour and it looks like Easter bunny's paw print been coming through. Genius. Oh, that's, that's so good. Yeah. With like eggs coming from the back. 
as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she'd uh get the get my brothers to leave out a a carrot, and half the carrot would be eaten come morning time. Yeah. Because yeah, bunny, bunnies yeah. love carrots, right? <laughs> Apparently, they do. <laughs> um, another thought I had, so this is while, so the, that was the first thought while I was eating the hot cross buns. The second thought was whilst I was eating the chocolate. Now, this thought came to me as I opened my first Easter egg um, and I was looking at all the chocolate I received on that day and I was like, we're in the middle of an obesity epidemic with hundreds of thousands of people either categorized as overweight or obese. And there's yet there's one day of the year where it's quite common to receive like 500 to a kilogram of chocolate from family and friends. Like it's this, this is completely normalized. Yet it's something that's actually um, a factor towards that obesity epidemic. And I was like, wow, like society is just not normalizing this behavior when it's not normal to receive a kilogram of chocolate on any day of the week. Mm. Yeah. Well, especially in Australia, I think they've got what, um, what's the other one? The Halloween as well. Yeah. A lot of candy. Yeah. Like so there's another com- one. Completely normalized. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that, yeah, it's a bit like, it's a big one, but you can't live with it, don't you? It depends. Like over the days, over the years, sorry, um, you like when you're younger, you fuck it, you'll smash through the eggs and stuff. And now, as an adult, I hardly had any. I had probably like five, five or six of them or something. It was more the hot crust buns I was getting after. I, I was case. the same hot crust buns. <laughs> yeah, something different. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I mean, like it depends on the parents too. Of like, I know my my parents, we'd all go for the Easter egg hunt and that, and then we'd divide them up. So all the kids got a share of different eggs because, you know, some kids would like find a lot more than others. So you just like even it out in that. And, you know, you could say, all right, maybe just like have this many for today and then like save them for the next few days because, you know, you could probably save them for three or four days, maybe over a week after and that. So I know people like keep them for a couple of months. Oh, like, I, I, used to, I used to hoard mine as a kid. And yeah. one of my one of my brothers does the same. He holds on to it for months, and he'll just have a little piece here and there, which I I, th- I think is fantastic. Like he's he's hmm. found a way that he can manage his or let's say ration his chocolate intake throughout months to get so he's not having this big dump all at once. He's just sporadically having it, which is essentially the same as like people that restrict right and then they go and have a cheat day or a cheat meal. They're having this big mm-hmm. dump of calories all at once. Whereas if they just dispersed it more evenly throughout the week, they'd probably consume less calories over that period. Yeah. So I really like that he does that. Yeah, for sure. And you gotta also think about it like if you've got all this chocolate and you're like, all right, I'm just gonna have this and I'm gonna be good like come Monday or whatever. Instead of just having a bits and pieces over the weeks, like that's going to be a lot better because that's like you said, that's going to be like that binge restrict mentality mm. of going like all or nothing. Like I've got to get it out of the house, so I'm just going to eat all this now, and I'm going to have a clean slate till Monday. And that never happened. That never works because you've now trained your brain into thinking, all right, I'm going to have all these calories, and then I'm going to restrict for a little bit, and then I can have all these calories again, kind of things. Like when have you ever eaten all those like biscuits or chocolates or whatever, and then just stop clean for forever like hardly anyone i would have thought so you got to introduce this kind of stuff bits and pieces and that's why we talk about that 80 20 rule of like having a little bit when you can and not being so like strict on yourself 
because no one can be 100% with their diet. I know I'm not, and I'm pretty sure you're not, and most people are definitely not. So, And that's just unhealthy, really, if you've been like, too strict. And then you become orthorexic, and you don't want that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a slippery slope to go down. <laughs> I uh, experienced mm. that restringe, big, uh, restrict and binge cycle myself. And yeah, not, not pleasant. I had several years of that where I just was so focused on eating clean. And then I found like tracking mac- macros, flexible dieting and completely changed my mindset. So I've, I realized, oh, look, I can have two pieces of chocolate here and it like doesn't completely derail my progress. Whereas I used to have two pieces of chocolate and that would lead into 20 pieces of chocolate, six mm-hmm. cookies, a liter of ice cream. Like, yeah, yeah. crazy, crazy, crazy. It's just crazy. the information that you had yeah. around it. Yeah. yeah. Same food, different mindset. Yep. Can change. Change your body just yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, it's the same when I was when I did that bodybuilding show. It's like just re- you're restricting so hard, and then because you can't have certain foods, you just go buy a whole block of chocolate and just smash that shit down. It's not it's not fun. Dark times, but <laughs> we're out of that now. Thank you. Out, out of it now, but have a hatred for tuna. <laughs> oh mate, <laughs> absolutely hate it. Unless it's tuna mornade, don't even. I can talk to me about that shit. I can't think of anything worse, like a tuna salad. Like people have tuna salads. I was like, what the fuck? Anyways. <laughs> uh, on the Easter theme, I wanted to bring up something that I found very interesting. So the Easter show is currently being held in in Sydney currently, right? And they have banned rap and hip hop music. Now, the reason they banned it was because they were worried about gang violence because there was a stabbing at the show last year. And the uh, the premier of the state came out and said, oh, um, young kids are being indoctrinated by Aussie rap music and that it's leading them into uh, being part of gangs. I'm like, hang on, why why are they specifically targeting rap music? Like, pretty sure if you're playing like a, a Slipknot or a Metallica or like, would that not have people more aggressive than some rap music or like some hip hop? Like, feel like the Hilltop Hoods, which are an Australian hip-hop or rap artist. I'm pretty sure they're not be causing too, too much too much violence. And they're the first um, like rap Australian rap artist that came to mind for me. So I found that a very, very strange, strange law. And yeah, I thought it was worth bringing up that it banned rap music yeah, right. at the Easter show. Interesting. I mean, there's a lot of kids around there that are highly influent, influential. Um, but it, I guess it depends on the lyrics and stuff, doesn't it? I know I used to wear like the Dada t-shirts. <laughs> Thought I was a hell gangster, man. Like, but I mean, I guess it depends on the home life too, you know? Because I was like, well, I thought I was gangster, but I never like stabbed I th- anyone. I thought I was gangster. Dude, you should over back in the day. You you'd wear the oversized jeans and shit. Like, did you ever used to wear that? Nah, or not me. That era, yeah, man. Like baggy jeans and shit i was young i was i can't remember how old it was but i was very young i just remember that data shit oh how good you're a wannabe gangster yeah man i was and you said the hilltop hoods as well they're adelaide boys are they so yeah the adelaide boys there's a there's a song that they do it's about um about adelaide don't ask me which one it is can't remember yeah look as far as i'm concerned aussie 
Aussie rap and hip hop isn't that great anyway. I mean, it's pretty low down the pecking order in in terms of rap and hip hop. But yeah, it was banned from all vendors being played. Um, like any like if like because a lot of the vendors like the arcade games and stuff play music in there, and yeah, mm. it was a blanket ban on all of it. So anything that is categorized as rap or hip hop from like Australia, UK, US, wherever in the world, mm. complete and utter ban, which I found rather interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. We'll see what they do next year, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> hit me with a fact before we get stuck into some questions. Alrighty. Ready for this? When traveling through water, sound moves over four times faster than when traveling through air. That is interesting. It is. Why so is that? The speed, well, the speed of sound depends on the density and elasticity of the medium through which it travels. So water is denser than air. And is a better conductor of sound. So sound waves can travel more quickly through water than air. Well, there you go. The more you know with Bradley Dapper. That's how we do it. <laughs> what about you? Okay, animal fact. The swift bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done a study on it and they had it um, flying around for 10 months. And during that 10-month period, it landed for a total time, of completely still, no flying, two hours. So they're saying that Swifts pretty much never land and they just spend their whole lives flying. Now, I know you're going to ask why or how. Yes, tell me how. (laughs) Reason being is when they're flying, they can uh, sleep with half of their brain so they still have enough cognition to fly. Um, And yeah, that's how they just keep flapping their wings. Now, their calorie expenditure would be through the roof. Continually flapping their wings. Imagine if humans just... Slept with half their brain and continued walking during the night. Imagine the calorie expenditure then. It'd be crazy. Mind blowing. You'd be up. Shit, <laughs> like, you'd be eating all the hot crust buns. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I found that interesting, but let's get awesome. stuck into some questions. Let's do it. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just before we get to the questions, the only way we grow this podcast and help more people is if you share this podcast. So if you're a fan of the show and got any value from us whatsoever, We'd truly appreciate it if you would share it with your family and friends so they may also get something out of it too. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the rest of this episode. Question number one. If you have a rough night sleeping, is it better to sleep in or wake up at the same time to keep your sleep schedule consistent? Yeah, you got to wake up at the same time to keep it consistent. This is a, this is a softball, this one. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's, you got to keep that circadian rhythm on point like here and there like if you because what's going to happen is if you sleep in then you're not going to build up enough uh, sleep pressure throughout the day and you're going to find it hard to go to sleep at night and then you're going to slowly start to push the time you're going to bed later and later and then you're going to feel even worse in the morning because you're not going to get a good night's sleep the day like that night so it's better to keep everything consistent wake up roughly around the same time and go to bed around the same time. So this is like due to having a rough night of sleep. So it could be a, a number of factors. Sometimes you just have bad night's sleep and you can't really pinpoint it, but it's always good to kind of recount the days that you have the rough night's sleep and trying to try and cross-reference what's actually going on. Like, are you having alcohol? Are you having too much caffeine? Are you stressed from work? Are you eating close to, to bed? Are you exercising right before bed as well? which can also increase your core temperature. So just looking at the basic 
sleep hygiene as well, why you had the rough sleep. But yeah, if you do have a rough sleep, just wake up in the morning. If it's the weekend, I know it's a lot harder to not sleep in because you're like, oh, I don't have to get up to work. But everyone knows that if you sleep in and then you go again, bed late on say the Saturday night and then same with the Sunday, you're like, all right, I'm going to go to bed early. You can't get you either can't get to sleep or you do go to bed late on the Sunday night and then you wake up at your normal time that you would go to work and you just feel like shit because you're not used to that circadian rhythm as well of like a normal wake up time. And if you're wondering why you feel like shit on every single Monday, it's probably because you slept in on the weekend. One of the reasons you may have like gone out and stuff, but that is one of the reasons why people feel like shit on the on the Mondays. That's why I don't usually train on Mondays either. Because I feel I feel stronger on Tuesday than I do on Mondays. I don't know what you're like with that, but yeah, it's something about it. Could be because like I may sleep in that extra half an hour to an hour that I'm used to. Um, but I think that's a good buffer. But if you're going like two, three, four hours, it can really be detrimental to getting a good night's sleep because you don't have that sleep pressure throughout the day. Yeah, I'm the same. I'd probably get stay consistent with the time that you get up. Um just to give someone an idea of, of the leeway that they can have half an hour either side of your usual sleep wait time is, is probably what I'd recommend. You can probably push it to 45 minutes if you really want to. So let's say you did have a rough night sleeping, push it out another half an hour, 45 minutes, maybe even an hour if you really want to any more than that. And that's where you get that effect that you talk about of where you start to feel shitty. You can't get to sleep the next night. The, the best way I've heard it described is you have that regular sleep-wake cycle, Monday to Friday, whilst you go into work, you're in routine, you sleep in the Saturday, you stay up a bit later on the Saturday night, you sleep in even more on the Sunday, then you have to get up for work on the Monday, you feel like crap, you've essentially jet-lagged yourself. That's mm. what you've done. You've created this lack of sleep pressure, lack of sleep, and then you've got to get up early in the morning, and that's the reason why you feel groggy. It, uh, <laughs> The main reason why you feel groggy, like you said, you could have had a big weekend, gone out, etc. But it's one of the one of the, the big big reasons why people do feel groggy on the Monday morning. So I'd try and stay as consistent as possible, and hopefully the next night, um, next night of sleep you get is a good one, and you can potentially go to bed a little bit earlier because you may be a little bit more tired from lack of sleep the night before. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because if you you got to also think about it, your you've got your efficiency as well. So if you're trying to so say you get a shit night's sleep on like the Tuesday. So if you oh so on the on the on the Friday, right? If you wake up normal time on the Saturday, you you are gonna be a little bit tired from that that initial sleep. So if you go to bed like at the normal time, your sleep efficiency is gonna be better as well on the Saturday night. Like I've I've tested this as well. I'm like, you know, if you've had a shit sleep the night before, your efficiency has just bumped up like like in the 90s it's pretty crazy to see because it's like i need my sleep and well this is the body talking talk, it's like i fucking need this shit so i'm gonna make it as efficient as possible and you were like just get knocked out and it's the same if you've drinking alcohol or something on the weekend or if you've done some other stuff you just don't dream and then the the day that you're i guess sober you just get the most vivid dreams ever that's just your body going I need I need this REM sleep and I haven't got it yeah. recently, so I need to increase the the REM. And that's catching up on REM. 
exactly and that's vivid, crazy vivid dreams. hectic dreams come from of you riding a dolphin and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah it's crazy it's, it's very it's very important to try and keep it a good structure and then you'll just feel mentally sharp throughout the day as well and everything will just be in line of like even hunger cues and stuff like that because then you wake up and you're not sure like when you're hungry should i eat now or i don't usually eat at this time blah 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 and it's just a cus- cascading events and stuff and then that's when you start to reach for more caffeine and then again we speak into that vicious cycle of stimulate yes yeah, stimulate sedate exactly i like that now i know there is a whole bunch of shift workers out there right now screaming at us going i can't do that because just do the best that you can to try and keep a regular sleep wake cycle if you do have a night shift then try and keep your nighttime and morning routines as consistent as possible it's just part of your job you're just gonna have to have to suck it up and deal with it in a perfect world you'd wake up and go to bed at the same time but you can't do that because of what you do for work so mm. just try and keep your your nighttime routine before going to bed and your morning routine once waking as similar as possible and try and get back into a regular circadian rhythm as soon as possible mm. yeah nice shift so bitch <laughs> <laughs> question number two is it possible to do too many steps for example, I have had the goal of 20,000 a day. Oh, yeah, no. That's a coupler, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> Too many steps. Look, I haven't really seen much research, but it's kind of like the diminishing returns of like upwards of, say, 6,000 to 10,000, you'll get the most amount of gains. And then the more you do, the, the slower the curve is to benefits. Obviously, the more you move, the better you are. It's a lot better than being sedentary. So I'm saying all for you, but it's like one is the goal taking away from certain aspects of your life as well. So that could be a reason of like, no, I've got to go get my walk in, even though you're at like 15,000 steps. So it's like, that could be like pushing other areas out of like spending time with your family. I don't know. Maybe you're doing it because you don't want to spend time with your family. I'm not sure, but (laughs) it's like, (laughs) I didn't really see any research with it showing like they were going above 60 and below 60 years old um i think it started to go a little detrimental um over like i think it was fifteen thousand, ever so slightly but it was still that like really close to that baseline of this is like proper health so usually in the research it was like yeah six to nine six to ten thousand was a good aim to go for but so if you're doing like a thousand steps i wouldn't go for like twenty thousand um but if you like, it's just, yeah, diminishing returns and more and more steps you go, but you're still getting benefits. So don't be like, oh, um, it was a waste. It wasn't a waste doing that. Good target to hit is roughly around that six to 10. If you're going for 20, I don't know why you're going for 20, but hey, all four and stuff. But it's like, what what is your goal? If your goal is 20,000, go for that. But I mean, that's a, that's a lot of steps depending. It's if, a lot. Yeah, if you're if you've got a desk job as well, that would be you'd spend a lot of time doing that as well. So you also got to kind of weigh it up. Like I know in fat loss phases and stuff, if you're doing 20,000 steps already, like there's not much room to, like if you drop back your steps, that's your metabolic, like your calorie burn going to go down. So I think if you are doing like a high amount of steps, try and ever so slightly bring your steps down a little bit lower, lower, get your body used to a lower amount of steps. So then if you, are in a fat loss phase and you do see a little bit of a stall, you can increase those steps as a as a way of like move nudging over that fat loss. So also be mindful of that. And if you're bulking, I wouldn't do that many steps. Damn. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, is it possible to do too many steps? It's possible to do too much of anything. You can drink too much <clears throat> water and drown. So yes, it is possible to do too many steps. 20,000 is a lot. I would hit back at this person and just be like, is there a better way that you can invest your time to improve your health other than just going for an excessive amount of steps? Like that that would be the question that I would ask. Like, is there some way you can uh, meal prep or can you get in a string, extra strength training session? Can you uh, have a better relationship with your partner or do some socializing with friends, which is probably going to be better for your health, health than the extra two, three, four, five thousand steps that you'd be doing. So yes, it is possible to, to do too many. Do I think you're doing too many? I mean, if it was my life, yes, but I don't know your life. So I don't know. Um, yeah. And what's just, too just many yourself, as well? Like, Yeah, yeah. Just ask yourself the question, can I invest my time better in order to achieve my goal? Now, if your goal is overall health or, or fat loss, then there probably is better ways that you can invest your time or optimize your time in order to achieve that goal than just doing extra steps. Because as you, as you said, once you get over that 10K, 12K marker, it's diminishing returns. You don't, you don't get as much benefit as what you do that initial 6 to 12K range. Mm. Yeah, it's... Uh... And, but the thing is, it's very independent. If you're getting a lot out of those steps, you say you're trying to hit it, that's the goal. For example, I've had the goal of 20 a day. If you're hitting it every day and it's not being detrimental to your life, I don't see why. Like you may be going walking with friends as well and like friend mm-hmm. to friend, go, like just walk around the neighborhood and just picking up one friend. Friend hopping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and you may have an active job too. I know on my, throughout my uh, six-week shred, there was one day I went over 20,000 and it was like 23,000 and that was that was a big day and then I was like my feet were sore like at the end of the day you just like lay down and you're like feet are throbbing and this is me doing and I'm like averaging over 13 13,000 and and that's that's without even really trying but that's just because you know have a have an active job and try and get out more but yeah 50,000 probably if you try to do 50,000, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just just ask yourself the question, is there better ways that I can invest my time? But yeah. no, in, in both of our opinions, we don't think 20K is too many. It's just, could you use that time better? Question number three, I've tried everything to grow my biceps, but they won't grow even though everything else is growing. How do I fix that? Interesting. So there's a tried, few ways. Tried everything. Tried everything, yeah. Look, if everything else is growing, then do whatever you're doing with those other muscle groups and apply the same thing for your biceps because, you know, biceps is such a small muscle compared to the arm as well. Like your triceps bigger than your bicep. I think you've got like maybe your rear delt and calf is maybe a little bit smaller, but even then, like I wouldn't even know where to put it. It's such a small muscle. It should be easy to grow. Um, So are you eating sufficient protein? and calories so the basics like i one second it's such a small muscle it should be easy to grow mate calves are small and they are not that's easy true. To grow. that's true that's true i'll give you that i'll give you that okay let me rephrase that there's multiple exercises you can use for the biceps and heavy weight um i guess it depends on your genetics too you could say um, but yeah. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure there is like you're using nah that's that's going to put me in a hole as well make sure you're hitting enough uh, 
sets for your biceps for one like yeah whatever you're doing, doing enough volume start start increasing it really track what you're doing and just increase it a little bit make sure you're eating enough make sure you're actually getting it in the different planes of motions of um what do you call it uh Different muscle different angles, I guess. Yeah, different muscle legs. So, like, make sure your elbows are by your side. Make sure they're in front of you. And then make sure they're behind you as well. Use cables, dumbbells, heavy weights. And then do them more than once a week. They'll just do them on arms day as well. You'll get some with, with your back and everything. Um, and measure them so then you know. You may also be like, they may be growing because, you know, muscle takes time to grow. But you may not be tracking it. So, um there might be like, I don't know, if you're in a bulking phase, there may be fat covering them as well. So it may not even, you may not hold much fat there too. It, there's so many different reasons. Like, are you actually tracking one, your weights on what exercises you're doing? And two, are you actually tracking the size of your bicep? Because it might be that you're like, your triceps are growing a shitload and it's make, making your biceps look small. Whereas they're probably growing at the same rate. And yeah, that could be deceiving you a little bit as well. Um, but that's that's a that's a few things that I would say. But yeah, the carb thing, yeah, that's funny. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> it's no, that's that's right. It's true. It's like those are just a bitch. Them and fucking rear delts. But <laughs> I would just start with them. Start with your biceps. Yeah, that's that's where I was going to lead. So, uh, once you've addressed volume, you're eating at, at least at maintenance, preferably a calorie surplus. Um, you're uh, taking the frequency aspect out of it so you're hitting them at least two preferably probably three times a week you can probably get away with a higher frequency because they're a smaller muscle group oh, you could do them and every day if you needed like, yeah they're, they're an isolation exercise um, and you're training them at different muscle links through a variety of rep ranges so you can train them as low as I'd probably go as six with biceps and up to like 15 20 if you're, if you're training throughout that ver- um, a variance of rep range and you're trying to get strong at 20 reps and trying to get strong at six reps um, like you mentioned that, that muscle length, very important. So like a, a lying incline where your elbow is behind you to train your bicep in a stretched muscle length by your side. Um, and then in front to train it in a fully short muscle length, like a preacher curl or a cable curl with your hands up higher. Um, once that's taken care of, then I just prioritize them. So let's say you got a pull session, do biceps first. It may impact your back, but if you're that worried about your biceps and everything else is growing, then prioritize them and put uh, when you're freshest and you have the most energy towards that muscle group that you feel as though is lagging. But yeah, that's the big one. Volume, make sure you're training them enough. Uh, frequency, make sure you're training them frequently enough. Uh, diet, nutrition, make sure you're um, at least at maintenance, pre- preferably a surplus. Make sure you're recovering enough, getting enough sleep um, and then training at different muscle lengths. That would mm. be my go-to. And once that's taken care of, then prioritize and put them at the start of the session when you're fresh and have the most energy and effort. Yeah, because most people will just chuck them on at the end. Same with calves yeah. and, and rear doubts. Oh, I'll just do, or abs. I'll just do it right at the end. And you're fucking wrecked and you don't want to do them. And then sometimes you just don't do them at all. So, yeah, chuck them at the front. That's going to be your best, best bet. Plus all the other shit, obviously. Uh, one little bonus tip I'd give. Um, prioritize more in the, the lengthened or stretch position muscle length. Because there seems to be a little bit more benefit to hypertrophy when training muscles in a lengthened position. So 
maybe bias that a little bit more than the shortened. So maybe do more incline curls where your elbow is behind your body compared to preacher curls. Maybe do an extra set or two there compared to the preacher. That'd mm. be the only other. That, but that's like minutia stuff. That's yeah, really nitpicky. Just fucking do some hard sets, basically. Go close. <laughs> just go close to muscle failure. Yeah. You may not even be doing that. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing a lot of bicep exercises. And you're picking up like tens and doing like 10, 10 by 10. It's just like fucking go harder, mate, honestly. <laughs> Question number four. Is there a good and effective way to cut whilst not obsessively tracking calories and macros? Well, yeah, of course. There is. It's just like watching what you eat, really. But if you hadn't tracked before, it's going to be really hard to know what you got to eat. So it depends how low you want to go. Like I think up to maybe for guys, 15% up to women, maybe like 20-ish, you could probably get away with cutting without having to obsess over tracking calories and macros. But once you're getting to lower body fat percentages where most things will matter a lot more and you really have to dial it in, it's going to be a lot harder um, because if you do have, say, that like piece of cake or chocolate and stuff, there's always something in the back of your mind of like, oh, how many calories was that? Where am I at today? Can I actually work it in? Whereas if you were tracking your calories, you would know and it would give you a sense of ease and you would stress less if you are tracking your calories. But like the word that jumps out on me on this question is, while not obsessively tracking calories and macros. So it's actually me, getting me to think that this person thinks that you have to obsessively track your calories and macros. So they may be coming at it from a place where when they track calories and macros, they're too obsessive around it. And it may be good for them not to worry about it, which is probably why they're asking the question because they are obsessing over it too much. So I think addressing that too as well, if you do want to get to lower body fat levels. Um, but again, it comes with experience. So like we've spoken on our episode on how to track macros and that, just lowering the portion sizes is a quick and easy one of doing it, of like eating exactly what you're having and then just bringing it down a bit. So you're not changing anything, but how much you're eating and then just see how far that goes. You keep everything else consistent. But I think like sub 10%, it would be really hard if you were to go like shreddy, shred, shred without uh, having to track your calories and macros because you because you have the potential of losing muscle when it comes to stuff like that because you may be like under eating a lot or you may be um, under eating protein and you, that's where you could be really detrimental and at lower body fat levels because ultimately you want to look really good and keeping your muscle mass is a big part of that. And tracking your calories and macros is a good way to mitigate as much muscle mass loss as possible. Whereas if you were like, oh, you know, I'm just going to lower this stuff, but then you're also lowering your protein. So you've also got to be mindful of that. Yeah. So the, the question is, what, is there a good and effective way? Any way is good and effective if it works for you. It doesn't matter how you go about it and how you do it. Um, so yes, there is many good and effective ways. You don't have to count your calories but all calories do count. So just keep that in mind. Now, the reason that um, I I prefer tracking calories and macros, and I believe you're in the same boat, is because we feel as though it places the least amount of rigidity on the diet. You're allowed to eat anything, but not everything. 
Now, the all the other diets that I can think of that come to mind right now place some form of structure or rigidity on the diet or on the person that is dieting. Keto, for example, cut out carbs. Carnivore, just eat meat. Vegan, only fruits and vegetables. Like These are very rigid ways of eating. Now, unless you can see yourself doing that forever, then it's probably not going to be beneficial for you to try and do that in order to lose fat. If it's not sustainable, then it's not attainable. So find a method that works for you. If it works for you, it is good and effective. Um, the only reason we promote tracking calories and macros so much is because we feel as though it place the least amount of rigidity on someone and it happens to also be the most accurate at the same time. But yeah, that a- any way is good and effective if it works for you. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely comes down to personal preference because I think this person obviously obsesses over it too much. So I think finding a way that best suits them would be the ideal way to go. And then you can just trial it out. You go, oh, I'm just going to lower my portion sizes or I'm just not going to eat between these hours and stuff like that and then go from there. But yeah, there's, it's so nuanced and without going back and forth with the person, it's hard to see what they actually wanted to achieve because like they want to cut, so they want to cut fat. So you got to be in a deficit and how you get to that deficit is totally up to you and tracking your calories and macros is obviously not where they want to go and that's fine. Um, but then once they're happy with where they're at, I guess if they got to a place doing a certain method apart from tracking calories and it worked for them, that's great. And then they can maintain it and then they can continue on with life and not having to put everything in my fitness pal. There's some people like that structure and knowing exactly that they can fit everything else in and not have that looming over the end, like at the back of their head of going like, oh, how many calories was that? <laughs> hey, like yeah. have I blown out? And then hopefully not get into that binge restrict mentality that a lot of people do do get into sometimes. So if I was to be coaching someone that came to me with this question, this is probably how I would answer it specifically to them. So the first way would be questioning like, oh, why are you obsessing over tracking calories, macros? It's close enough is good enough. And I'd probably address that. Secondly, I'd go, okay, you, you really don't want to track calories and macros. Let's Let's find a structure that works for you. So two ideas really came to mind. The first one is intermittent fasting, just shortening your window in which you can eat. However, that doesn't work for everyone and it can create like a restrict binge mentality. It's like, oh, I don't eat for 20 hours and then I just eat all the food in four. So you've got to be careful about who you're speaking with there. The second method that I kind of like is a three, two, one method. So it's three meals, two snacks, and one glass of water with each meal. Now, each meal will have like a fistful size of protein, um, a fistful serving of veggies, and a thumb full of fat. You can have some starchy carbs in there if you like. Snacks can be like a fruit, thing of Greek yogurt, or if you uh, have a sweet tooth after dinner, you can make yourself, I don't know, some sugar-free jelly or have a roll of chocolate or whatever it may be. Just keep the snacks 100 to 150 calories tops, and then the three meals and a bottle of water or glass of water with each meal is a, is a general guideline, but you still have to be careful about the overconsumption of alcohol, highly processed foods, whereas you can incorporate some of them into your diet if you just track your calories and macros. So you may be obsessed about tracking calories and macros here, but if you were to place another form of 
structure or rigidity on you in the form of like a keto, would you then be obsessed about not eating carbs? Is that just a personality trait of yours to be obsessive? These are things that you need to ask yourself and, and really worry about like, oh, I'm going to do an 18 hour fast with a six hour eating window and you're hungry like an hour before that 18 hour fast is up. So, but you've got that obsessive personality. So you push yourself to the point where you're so hungry when that 18 hours is finally up that you have no control over your, your eating and it feels like you're having an out of body experience and binge. These are quick, these are things that you need to ask yourself is with the obsessive nature of you. Is it just a trait of yours and something that you need to personally work on? I don't know, but that would be the way that I would approach it. Yeah, no, it's, it's good you brought that up because that's what it kind of seems like of like, I don't want to track calories and macros because I've become too obsessive over it. So let's find another alternative method to obsess over. Yeah. And then just keep jumping from track to track to see what works best for you. I think until you dive deep into why you've been so obsessive with it, maybe you have OCD and maybe that's like, that's just you. And so, hey, go for it. (laughs) Like that's, that's all good. Like you've kind of got to work with your strengths now of like, all right, having the mindset of like, all right, I know I'm obsessive. So what's the healthiest obsession I can do with this kind of stuff is because you want to improve your health. They're cutting. It may be for vanity, but it's also, it can be for health as well. So it's like, all right, what's, what's the healthiest way I can get around what I not suffer from, but like have with me as a personality I, w- I wouldn't even know what you call it. It's not really a trade, is it? But like, anyways, you just go for that and then see see how it works out for you. But yeah, it's it seems like you're just jumping from bit to bit. I would just pick pick another one and see if it's not too full on. But like you said before, tracking calories and macros doesn't have to be obsessive. You can just get, get near enough, listen to our podcast on it. You get some good value from that, I think. Yeah, if you are struggling, feel free to reach out. Happy to... Uh help you with a little bit of coaching in the meantime to get through. Okay, so that's a wrap for today's questions. If you want your questions answered in the future, make sure you are following us at brain.body.movement, at Brad Dapper, and at Brock underscore Dalglish. And you can ask us a question whenever we put up a sticker box or send us a DM. We just want to say thank you so much for listening to us. If you enjoyed or took any value at all from this episode, we would really appreciate it if you took a screenshot and shared to your Instagram stories. We'd also love it if you shared it with family and friends and left us a five-star review. Also, don't forget to turn on post notifications so you don't miss an episode in the future. But before we go, if we can leave you with a few things, make your damn bed, get your steps in, and be kind to one another. Cheers. Five regrets of the dying. Like, one of them was... um... Yeah, nice one. What the fuck were they? <laughs> I I didn't wish I worked too much, but I'm trying to relate it back to this one. What were the five regrets of the dying? Have you read that book? No, I have not. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. I wish I'd I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I'd stay in touch with my friends. And I wish that I'd let myself be happier. None of them related to generosity. <laughs> So I could just cut that fucking thing out. <laughs> <laughs>